Peace be to this house. Peace be with all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So last week, you heard about Matthew, the tax collector, and how he was called by Jesus. But to follow me was never to be left alone. Jesus brought him into a community of disciples. It was from this larger group, Jesus also saw fit to call Matthew to be an apostle. Listed among 12 names, these men were sent to do what Jesus did. Their distinction was a bedrock foundation for the sake of his church. The communal life of disciples came deeply woven together with the apostles. What began in a small way of Jesus directing his attention toward what he said the lost sheep of Israel would become the greater mission as the only good shepherd for sinners by what he gave of his sacrifice. So today we have a small picture of how we carried out in a far larger way. God's love was to make disciples and to be for all nations. You heard that on Trinity Sunday. This gospel, as you know, works by baptizing and teaching all things Jesus commanded. So Matthew today kind of gives the background or instruction for this ministry. It was a mission tied to Jesus. And he was already going around Galilee doing what they were to do. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus is the head of his church. And whatever he gives first comes from him. And yes, it always goes back to him. Our attention, because the text is very big, is to the first half of the reading from Matthew. It shows the purpose of it all. Instead of the crowds, good news for you is in Christ. And his community, moved by God's love, goes where he sends them. And so what Jesus sees is not some casual observation of the crowds. We do in our society what's called people watching. And we do it when we go shopping. We do it when we turn on the TV. But Jesus saw things far differently when he looked at the crowds. It came with the eyes of God wrapped up in the human flesh and blood, and specifically over the Jews, because that's where Jesus was born and he lived. The situation was a glaring scene of grief set before the promised Messiah. God's people, Israel, were described as being harassed and helpless. Other translations, if you like this kind of stuff, say they were weary and scattered, or they were troubled and downcast. This we know is beyond the sinful nature. So we can't just say, well, we're sinners and we just kind of are just this way and that's what happens. No, it was from abuse and injustice. Not in the, out in the lands of the Gentiles, but right in the land of, of Israel. And the loss came 
particularly with spiritual misguidance in place of God that didn't give them God, so they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so it's a pattern, you know this, in the Old Testament, a very common pattern of helplessness and harassment, especially during the time of the kings and stuff of the history when Israel was established, but you get false prophets, uh, bad priests, and worthless kings. Christ sees things for what they are. And it's a lot more than just kind of having uh, human empathy towards people. We all need to have a, understand a person's situation. But God's compassion on people truly is for a sinful world, not just a particular people or place. So, you know, June is a month for weddings. Whole list of them here. Pretty popular. I got married at the end of June. And also June is Father's Day, celebrating that gift given to some men to be fathers and heads of families. But also, it's now a month that we need to mourn the pride of it all. And you know what I'm getting at. Comfortable bubbles that we have made have caused plenty to refuse to acknowledge or face the suffering that has been unleashed. And it's a lot more than after COVID times, but it's in your face now these days. Harassment and helplessness over sexuality, not just particular kind of sexual topics, but sexuality is now abusing children, has become the platform for some churches. And to be applauded, our neighbor in their life choices, to be better than giving them the good shepherd for lost sheep. This pride has a deeper spiritual loss at work, dismissing the care of Christ and the kind of care he has towards sinners, each and every one. A professor from Quincy University I recently read says this, but one thing scares me above all else. When they first enter my classroom, most of my students seem to believe that even if Christianity happens to be fully true, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Now that could be a statement of pride. Oh, that may be all true, but it don't, don't affect my life, doesn't change anything. That may be true, but to me, it has an awful lot of sound of despair and doubt about Christ's compassion to protect and provide for the suffering. The suffering, not just those actively against people who are suffering, but those who don't know how to handle the suffering of their sin and the things that they have suffered in their own life. It doesn't really matter. It means they don't realize what Jesus has done. Not merely in his sacrifice, but how he indeed has stepped into a world to save it, to direct it to his way of the cross, even the way of love that sinners can share between each other. When Jesus speaks in our text, so he looks at the whole environment, but when he speaks, he does not tell, talk to the world. He turns to his church, and for good reason. His church is already 
Loved by him. These are the ones who are following. These are the ones he called. Those are the ones who heard and believed. He shared with those disciples both the promise and the need that was at hand. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Life is not stagnant. You might be retired, but life is still going on. Life is changing. The culture is changing. It is happening. You're not going to stop things. Life is not stagnant. I look at my garden. It's growing. Get some more rain, and boom, it really grows. Life is not stagnant. If it is, you're dead. Life is not stagnant because... A harvest is at hand. A growing need present that was before these disciples. It would be a plentiful thing because the promise rested in how God saw his purpose, which was to save all people. So when Jesus says it's plentiful, think of God so loved the world. That's what we're getting at here. As a popular commentator by the name of Kretzmann states, you have his commentaries here in your library, when the souls have grown weary and surfeited, which means excessiveness, with the husk of human doctrines and traditions of men, these souls are more apt to feel and realize their need of the gospel of Jesus as in the case of many of the Jewish nation. The climate at the time of Christ came with a demand that was going to outweigh the supply of workers. Think about Pentecost. That wasn't really all that many Gentiles. They were there, but really there was a lot of Jewish people there. And on Pentecost, 3,000 people would believe by the work of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of Peter and the presence of the apostles. But all this, in an instant, the climate was ripe for that. The solution was for his church to pray. Because in the end, it was the Lord's harvest. And so you have to think about when you had all that stuff going on in the book of Acts and they're kind of having issues with widows and not feeding and helping the people. They probably prayed quite a bit. Prayed for Stephen to want to be a deacon and the other six of them, and other needs that they would pray for that God would put forward for the help of his church and for the sake of sinners have coming, that are coming from the harvest. The church is to gather in the harvest, but not apart from being disciples loved by Christ. Changes today bring grave concerns, I know, before the church. And it isn't just the threat of things, but also the fear of things, the loss. But it's still God's grace alone that keeps the promise of a harvest. Without this need for Christ and his saving love for sinners, here's what's going to happen. Workers are going to work, but it will be the wrong kind of, of, of gathering of people. A wrong kind of harvest. Not of souls to believe in Jesus, but of other things to celebrate in this world, but they won't last. St. Paul says, right love, as you heard today, is to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have now received reconciliation. We can't reconcile anything nowadays. The present life is not easy to reconcile all the situations at hand. But Jesus, by his holy word and sacrament, upholds God's desire. He sets it before our lives. The harvest by him is freely giving the gift of forgiveness. That is a huge thing because people need that kind of a thing today, not from themselves or an affirming community, but the answer that comes as Christ for you. And notice it's not for them first. It's for you and me. The workers are few, carry a new weight today. 57 congregations did not get a pastor from the seminary. This past week on my email list, I got two, three pastors who passed away. But Jesus removes the fears of all the data, which is true data. But Jesus removes the fears. He binds his disciples in love and directs us to pray. Walther, the founding president of the Synod, notes, as it was in the apostolic age, so it has been ever since. Whenever the tree of the church, capital C, has blossomed in faith, the fruits of brotherly love have appeared right away. Lots well, talk about love today, but I doubt much of it is a faith that comes from God kind of love. Love has to come from how God loves us because that is the best news in the world that keeps us in the right way. Why Jesus told, chose 12 apostles, you understand, put him at the heart of going to the crowds. Prayer to the Father by disciples came as an answer from the Son. These men would minister to Israel with authority from Jesus. And so as God gathered Israel by Moses at Sinai, you heard that today. So Jesus, as the Son, established a true Israel, the church, on those he sent out. Everything followed what Jesus did, preaching, teaching, and miracles to glorify the gospel in God's Son. The apostles did stuff that no pastor today dare claim. The apostles did things because it was that closely attached to Jesus as a first century witness to his great death and resurrection. So the apostles exceed the 12 tribes of Israel in the flesh because they saw the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as the foundation of his church, not the Moses and the law, not the burning of Sinai, but his great life and sacrifice, and yes, his victory. This turns us to confess, as we do in the creed, that we believe in one holy Christian or Catholic and apostolic church. Their divine authority was to give and serve and to give Jesus to be the great shepherd and savior of all people. Such apostolic love is all throughout the New Testament. 
St. John shares it like this. He says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't lord it over the church. He boasts over the baptized people of God. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sending for any other glory has no place. And so our Lutheran fathers confess this pretty clearly at the time of the Reformation. They say the church, capital C, is not, the church is not with those who try hard to wipe out God's word by their orders. Orders here means how they govern and what they want to get out of it, how they shape it. And also put to death those who teach what's right and true. So Jesus even takes into account what the first disciples did not have to experience. He sends them out and you know how they come back? They're all shocked. All this great stuff's going on. It really is true. Yep. Jesus had not yet died in rose. On the other side of that cross with that glory, they would go out and you heard how Jesus already told them that they're going to drag you before kings and then the little thing that Matthew puts in there that notes, and the Gentiles. It's going to go out to the ends of the earth, that good news, and Jesus even takes into account how to face hardships against his sending. So it's not by a program, but before God's mission to call upon him. A Father's Day unhinged with hope, for it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You're all sent out. And the church certainly needs pastors and church workers like deaconesses and teachers. But you're still going in your lives and your vocations, whether you're retired, you still have something to shape and speak. And in these days, you must be bold even with family. Because it's for the sake of sinners that God wishes to work through us all so that all might see Jesus and his great sacrificial love. Instead of the crowds, good news for you is in Christ and his community, moved by God's love, goes where he sends them. There's no restrictions on this. No vote. It's the voice of Jesus, our good shepherd. And we the sheep follow him. Amen. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Amen. At this time, then, we rise and we